Welcome to the Teacher's Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thank you for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Kate Aspin, Senior Lecturer in Primary Education at Huddersfield University, all about training teachers to teach. It was a brilliant interview and Kate shared so much advice for trainee teachers, new teachers and trainee teacher mentors. She had some amazing ideas of how trainees can build up gradually and the types of support trainee and new teachers need. I honestly think the interview is useful for anyone in teaching though. It's great to passively learn about other areas in our sector. It just makes us all better. Let's get to the interview. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. No problem. Thank you for asking me. So, we obviously, um, you didn't remember, but I did. We met um, a couple of months ago at uh, Lead, Lead Learn Langs. Yeah. Um, and I got a free jumper. Yeah. Nice. Oh, good. I go running in that jumper quite a lot. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're saying that you don't just wear it at home and you go no, out I and advertise to the world. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited about this interview because you're a teacher trainer. I am. And so you're going to talk to us all about that. And... Um, after we did an episode of a few weeks ago with Aaron about um, NQTs, somebody got in touch with me who was a trainee teacher and said, oh, you know, I was really pleased that you did that and can we have more of that? So it fits in really, really nicely. So unlike most people, I've got about a million questions to <laughs> ask you because the team wanted to know loads. So are you ready? I am. Fire away. It's going to be a long one. Um, okay. Do you want to give us a backstory? Tell me everything, okay. how you got um, to where you are. How I got to where I am, I became a teacher in 1994. I didn't uh, didn't necessarily, come, I don't come from teaching background. I've got nobody in my family. My daddy's very anti-teacher. Mm-hmm. Those who can do, those who can't teach. All Forever right, and yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of that. But I did Duke of Edinburgh's Award. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, I did a stint in a primary school and absolutely loved it. I yeah. loved it from the minute I walked in. I just absolutely just thought, this is me. My dad wanted me to do law. We had a big kind of, kind of argument. <laughs> I won in the end and I'd have been a terrible lawyer. Um, so I then did teacher training, did four-year B.Ed. in the day, back in the day, and uh, then got my first teacher training, teaching job up in Bake, up in Lancashire. Yeah. I'm not from around here. I'm from Lincolnshire originally, but I thought in the old days that you went to university and then you moved. And I like walking, so yeah. I wanted to live on a yellow walking map. Bake Up was the first place that would give me a job on a yellow walking map. So that's how I ended up teaching <laughs> up there, oddly. Um, taught lots of year five, lots of year six, then moved down to Manchester, got married, went on supply. That was really interesting. Did lots of yeah. supply in Moss Side, Old Trafford, taught me all masses about behaviour management down there yeah. um, and did stuff in Didsbury as well. So that was weird because that was the opposite kind of behaviour situation where you've got kind of au pairs. Just a question on that. Yeah. Do you think, how important do you think it is that a teacher experiences supply? I think supply is really, really important and I, mm. and I love it i mean i'm now i try and do supply teaching on my one day off friday's my day off hence i'm here um but but on the the other hand at the minute supply is really difficult yeah there's not much of it about it's very expensive i'm a vice chair of governors we can't afford i do a bit of supply there because i'm free but but otherwise there isn't yeah people use their hltas so yes it's great but it's not a it's not somewhere where you can earn a reasonable wage anymore, I don't think. No, and but in shame. terms of experience. But in terms so. of experience, I think the more schools you go into, the different behaviour management strategies you see, the different types of schools you see, 
you know, it teaches an awful lot and it taught yeah. me an awful lot. I and agree, really useful. same for me, yeah. And I got my second job from that where I got a TLR and then uh, eventually got my deputy headship and I was a deputy head and acting head teacher three times. But while I was doing that, I was also supporting NQTs in Calderdale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was supporting failing NQTs. And that's how I kind of got involved in teacher training yeah. and sort of moved sideways. Because I knew at that point I didn't have, I had a young family. I didn't feel I had the time to be ahead. You can't be ahead part-time very no. easily. You definitely couldn't back in the sort of 2006, 2007. Um, so I decided to go for something where I knew I could go part-time a little bit more, even though, and I wish to make it clear, you don't get the school holidays as a teacher trainer. All right, I do not get school holidays. <laughs> People assume I do. You don't. Just because the students aren't in doesn't mean you're not working. Yeah. Um, so that was my journey. So when you say that you were supporting um, failing NQTs, how did that work then? Was that something that the council set up? It, it was, in, in, in those days, it was very much because obviously that was before academisation had become prevalent. Um, it was working with the LA and what we did was we swapped a teacher and we, right. we took in a supposed failing NQT at the time and I supported her on her journey. And right. the basic reason she was failing was because she'd not been mentored. Yes. She'd been left to get on with it, yeah. didn't really know what she was doing. She was floundering and supporting. And so with support, she did become... I wouldn't say the best teacher in the world, but she became a creditable teacher yeah. and she passed her NQT in and, the end. And that can make all the difference, can't it? I remember when I um, Absolutely. was an NQT, did not have an NQT for quite a long time. And, and if you've forgotten how to do it, yeah. it, it's not the best. I think I probably went on one of the days and I was supposed to have gone about not four. More, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And it, it is, for me, it's that support into NQT year, which is really, really important. Mm. And that's yeah. where the new early career framework comes in. Okay. Well, as soon as you mentioned right. it and it's on my list, let's talk about that. What is that? The New Early Career Framework is the government's idea, and it's a kind of double-edged sword, and I'll explain why in a minute, um, to support NQTs and RQTs. What they've realised is that the NQT year is a little bit like falling off a cliff. You become an RQT, yeah. you lose your extra 10%, you lose your mentoring or your um, tutoring within school, and you usually get in primary a subject leadership role, if not multiple subject leadership roles. Yeah. And they've finally noticed that that's when a lot of people go, do you know what, it's too much, can't yeah, do yeah. it, and leave yeah. the profession. So what they're doing is the early career framework means that you get support into your second year. You get a 5% reduction in timetable in your second year and you should get continued mentoring into your second year. And there is supposed to be money available for this. It's rolled out this coming September in some areas, Greater Manchester, Bradford and various others. And then it should be rolled out nationwide the following year. Right. Okay. And schools do need to be kind of aware of this really when they're recruiting. But the downside to that is, of course, in a small primary, yeah. how many staff can you have supporting people? Yeah. How is that going to impact on initial teacher training? Because if someone's mentoring an RQT and NQT, they can't have the time to mentor a third yeah. a third or fourth body. So we're looking at it at the minute with a, yes, it's going to be great in one way, mm. and also the funds need to be put in place, you know, because without money, schools can't do it. Uh, just another question then, mm-hmm. just based on what you've said. And I suppose this is a bit of a finger in the air thing, but do you have any pin, any opinions on how many kind of NQTs, RQTs a school, like what percentage a school can actually manage? Depends on the size of a school. Mm. Um, I'm always wary of schools that have a high turnover of NQTs year after year after year, because mm. that says something to me about their workloading. You know, there are some academy chains who have a reputation nationally for burning out NQTs and chewing them yeah. up and spitting them out, yeah. which is appalling. Or just not... giving them a year's contract. And a lot of schools yes. give them a year's contract and it's just 
they're going to work out if they want them or not. Yeah. But then sometimes that's good in a way because it's a little bit like, you know, relationships. Maybe it's good for the NQT as well yeah, to realise yeah. that I can get out of this without yeah. losing face or losing any of my reputation. So that, I suppose, a fixed term contract relationship, I don't mind quite so much. But this idea that, you know, there are some schools who just take them in and spit them out every year is just not, not, not moral and not reasonable. Yeah. And I suppose really the difference in wage between the first year and the second year is not that much, but well, you no, can get actually, a lot more experience. And actually a lot experience. of schools prefer an RQT because then you're not having to fund the NQT part, that's so they're on a full, yeah. you know, full teaching workload as opposed to the 80%. Although obviously they're going to be going to the 5%. Percent. So, yeah. All right. Okay. So as a teacher trader then, do you cover all routes into teaching? Uh, at the university, we work with obviously the university undergraduate routes. We've got a three-year undergraduate programme for primary. We've got uh, PGCE, which is our own university PGCE. We also work, work with a um, really good range of school direct providers and we also are involved in the Kirklees and Calderdale skit mm-hmm. we don't the only thing we don't do is teach first because that's quite selective and they don't do yeah. many areas yeah. and they don't do masses in primary either right okay okay um all right then so you cover all those areas mm-hmm. which would you recommend I think what you have to know is a you need to know all the different routes and it's very complicated and I think to be fair the government have kind of recognised that it's very overly complex. Trying to explain to people mm. all the different routes into training now is um, there's a myriad. It's a My, lot more than when I started. Yeah, yeah far more. Um, and I think if you know, if you're you know, if you haven't got a degree and you want a degree and you know definitely want to teach and it runs through I always say it's got to run through like a stick of rock you've got to be really really absolutely firm in your knowledge of that then the three-year degree makes sense because it's fast yeah fastest way to do it because you get your degree and your teaching qualification if you're not sure also I guess you you get a lot of information as well that you wouldn't get well and also it's obviously you do a lot more time in school yeah you know our, our students do an awful lot more over the three years than you will get in a one year however they're often much younger, so they need that longer leading time. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you know and you've done your degree and you've got that maturity, and maybe you've been a teaching assistant mm. or you've had quite a lot of experience in schools or that you're older and you've got maybe a mortgage, then something like a school director or a skit makes sense because it's geography. Mm. And an awful lot of people are going to teach training now looking at the geography. And if you live in Halifax, you might be more sensible going with a Halifax training provider, yeah. sending you close to home where your schools are going to be, yeah. rather than going miles and miles and miles away to yeah. Manchester or Bradford or somewhere like that. I guess as well, even with the life experience, it actually matters if you've had another job. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. Even though you're in the classroom and maybe it's not relatable, it's, it just gives and, well, you a every, different sense of Every job, it? if you've had a full-time you know, job in work, whether it's retail or something like that, you've worked with the public maybe, so that helps you deal mm. with parental issues. There's just that you know, punctuality. You understand the rhythm of a work yeah. life that you've, you know, you've already sort of entered into. Um, people, some people like the PGC at university because they feel more comfortable with the university setting yeah. and they like the idea of having those support mechanisms that they know and recognise from university. Yeah, yeah. Most people, if they're older, are always looking for the salaried position. Yeah, yeah. And it does, I have to say, annoy me massively that you can go into secondary now and get massive bursaries of £28,000, £30,000. Yeah, I mean, that's That insane. doesn't actually tie you into teaching at all. Yeah. Um, you can take that bursary and then go into something else, yeah. you know, once you've done your, your year of training. And there's nothing for primary, absolutely nothing. No. And that... You know, I've got students who are trying desperately to juggle a job and childcare and do their training, and it and that's not helpful. It no. really isn't helpful at all. 
Um, and also another thing the government have done is they've it used to be you had to have two weeks work experience in a school before you applied for teacher training. Mm. That was always the rule. They got rid of that rule about three years ago. So we now have people coming into teaching who have never really been in a classroom. Mm. So sometimes they want a slightly more uh, tailored approach where they're going more gradually. And some, so sometimes they're going to school direct for that. And sometimes they come to us as a university provider for that because it can make a big difference because people come in thinking it's going to be like it was at primary school for them. And yeah. of course, sometimes they're in for a bit of a nasty shock well, because it's not it. like that. No, no, it's not. You know, and so that lack of experience can be a bit of a drawback. But most people are looking for the salaried route, but they're very rare. Very, yeah. very rare. This is it. And I, I know of some people who have applied for... Um, GTP, but mm. but you don't always get a salary with that as well. No, you know? with, with well, that's now school direct. Um, you can get some, but it's usually because that you tends to go to people who know the school or are familiar with the school, or because the school, to be fair, if they're paying, they yeah. want a safe pair of hands. Yeah. And also, the teaching workload from the from the day one is much higher because yeah. the expectations are much higher. So you really do need to be, you know, in that way, really savvy with what you're doing. And there's the apprenticeship routes we do now with distance learning as well that we do with. Um, other we believe with some classroom partnerships, which is a supply agency. That again, it, it's for people really who've got a lot of experience. It needs yeah. to be experience led from that yeah. kind of view because you've got to be a self starter and self motivated. Yeah. The other thing I would want to add is if you want to teach abroad, mm. be careful because with GTP or with a QTS only route, you can't teach abroad in most cases. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and you can't teach in Scotland. And you, you even, uh, but you can't teach in Australia. You can't you can teach in Dubai. But if you've got a PG or a BA with a QTS, you can teach abroad. And we've got quite a lot of trainees now going abroad. Yeah, you know, yeah, we do. It's becoming a very popular route. I've got yeah. trainees. I can name at least a dozen now that are teaching in Saudi, teaching in Dubai, teaching in yeah. Australia. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I've noticed the shift, and actually, as a company, yeah. we're going to Dubai next month um, because there's so many kind of schools out there Absolutely. teaching the English curriculum now and as well. you can and you can now do your NQT year over there so can it doesn't you? yeah there's quite a lot of schools wow. now doing that um so it does enable you to travel and to be fair had yeah. I had my time again I think I'd go abroad for a bit two of my colleagues one's been in Malaysia one's been in Thailand yeah, yeah. and it does I think it just brings a whole different world to you yeah, you know, and I would yeah. do that, but in the, in the days experience. when I trained, it wasn't a thing. <laughs> no, and it's like the supply route. Yeah. I did supply quite a lot, um, and just because I did secondary first, and um, I did uh, supply a few days a week for the first year because I, I only got a part-time job. But actually, I wouldn't change that because I worked in some really tough schools yeah. in Bradford, really tough. And it but does I tell you what, it? my behaviour management, mm-hmm. especially when I moved to primary, they were just never a problem, ever. And that's why they got me in. And it is the most important thing you do. If, if, if the one thing I say you have to get right is behaviour management. Yeah, and, and I think especially on supply, one thing um, I remember one of my teacher trainers said, and, and I think they're right, and I used to carry that through, was that, do you know what? Yes, learning's important, but if if a head teacher's got supplying for the day, first and foremost, they need to know that the children are behaving and are safe yeah. and that they're not running safe, around yeah, everywhere. Exactly. You know, and, and you have to get that right before you yeah. do any learning. You have to be able to control them, yeah. don't you? Okay, so which programme makes the better teacher? Ooh. I have to say none because it entirely depends on the trainee. I've seen some PGC trainees and school direct and skip trainees who walk into classroom on day one and are fantastic. Yeah. I've seen some undergraduates who are very young, very naive and need that three years, but at the end of those three years are fantastic. Yeah. It 
you know, it, it can vary. I've seen PGs struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. Yeah. And I think you've got to be honest with yourself. If you do your first practice and your mentoring is right and you're just not getting it and you're still not just getting it, you have to ask yourself, is this the right career for me? Yeah. And I respect far more people who say to me, do you know what, Kate? I've tried it. I've paddled. I've had a go. It's not what I thought. It's not what I expected. I'm going to say thank you very much, but no, I'm, I prefer that than having to fail somebody. But yeah. I have to say I am willing to fail somebody. Yeah. Because well, at the end of the day, I'm not putting somebody out there. Children don't get a say in who teaches them. No. They're the only people who don't get a say, to be fair. And I'm not putting somebody out there who is not fit to teach my kids or anybody else's kids because yeah. that's not fair. And it's also not fair on the person. Yeah. To be in a job that's difficult and hard enough yeah. and then to be miserable and... Because you're not able. Because you're not, well, not enjoying it. No. You've got to enjoy it. If it doesn't yeah. make you go... You know, every single day that there's that enthusiasm, there's that yeah. passion because it's very intensive. It's very full on. Mm. I had one this year say to me, do you know what, Kate? It, it's too intensive for me. It's not what I want. And I'm like, that's fair enough. Yeah. For me, that's the buzz. That's yeah. the joy of it. You know, that you, it's nine o'clock when it's three o'clock and you don't know where the day's gone because it's zipped because yeah. you've been doing this, this and this. And those micro decisions that you make as a teacher all the time are so important. Yeah. And that's the difficulty of it because you sometimes can't explain what you've done. Yes. You know, and that's what good mentoring does. It makes the implicit explicit and it's brilliant for that. But if it's not for you, it's not for you. And that's fine. Yeah. Sometimes in life you have to know what's not for you before you decide what's for you. Yeah. And that's okay. And also I think, you know, it needs to be difficult in that way yeah. to point that out because, yeah. you know, I mean you've said it's not fair for the, the student themselves, it's not fair for no. the pupils, but it's also not fair to pass a load of people on the other teachers. Exactly, because and having been in that situation myself, having a, a member of the team, particularly in a small primary, there's no room, you know, no. with the current office and agenda, there's so no room for passengers. No. And it's difficult enough when you've got an NQT because they've got so much to learn, even as an NQT, because it is only initial teacher training, not complete teacher training. And, yeah. you know, they need to develop and be supported through their journey. And so if you're having to juggle somebody he was far too weak. It's not helpful. No, no. So you just mentioned Ofsted then. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's a new Ofsted framework, but there's a new Ofsted framework for teacher training as well, as you told me on Which the is great. We're, so, we're pleased about that in some respects. So how is it better then if it's good? It's better because uh, it very much mirrors, and we had a pilot, you know, people wonder about initial teacher training. Well, I've been... Um, I've been in initiative tra teacher training since 2007 and I've been inspecting in 2007, 2009, 2012, 2016. I'm in a pilot this year. So we're inspected a lot. Yes. Um, and I also, we had our pilot in November and then I went straight the following week in, as a vice chair of governors into another full school inspection. So that was interesting. And yeah. then we're very similar. Right. Very similar. We had deep dives. We had all that. But the reason we're quite excited about it is that for years we've had to grade trainees. And we haven't liked grading trainees because schools have stopped grading teachers a long time yeah, ago. I remember getting a grade, yeah. Exactly. But we've had to do it because our framework said we were measured. Our data yeah. was based on the data of those trainees. Yeah. And all of us have said we don't want to do that. We would like a meets the standards, does, yet, does not yet meet the standards type of measurement. Yeah. And, and a bit like schools with life after levels, that's what they're now giving us. The yeah. ability to, to say, no, you don't have to measure them that way. You know, Because at the end of the day, the teacher's standards go all the way through, whether you've been teaching one year or 25 years. But what a trainee looks like mm. you know, is very different and should, to be fair, be very different. And sometimes you get a trainee who walks into a school saying, I'm an outstanding trainee yeah. on them. And actually, that's the kiss of death. Because the school looks at them and goes, oh, well, you should be... Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, they're still learning. Yeah. 
So having that meet the standards does not meet the standards. The difficulty, of course, now is we're having to try and tell them what that looks like and talking to our partnerships, our schools, our mentors, trying to work, weigh that up and trying to, you know, what does that person look like and meets it? You know, how do we talk about those that are much, you know, that are really good, yeah. um, you know, and greater depth, if you like, uh-huh. and those that, you know, rather than just those that are age-related, and then how do we then look at supporting those that, and not yet at that point. Mm. And what does that look like? So that's the next decision. And the same, we will have deep dives in the same way as schools are having deep dives. Mm-hmm. It will be slightly different um, in that they'll deep dive English and phonics, which they've been doing for years with us anyway. We've had, you know, SSP has been drilled in from the last 10 years, really. Um, and probably maths. But then they will look at the foundation subjects together. Mm-hmm. They did try and look at them one by one. But I did try to explain to the chap who was trying to do a deep dive with me on RE. When you get half a day yes, to do all the input you need to do for a PGC student on, yeah. on RE. They kind I of cannot, just have to do the research themselves, don't they? I, yeah. And basically, I would say I kind of vomit on them. I just give them yeah. loads and loads and loads of information. You know, the legal requirements. This is what it might look like. This is good practice. This is where you find the documentation. If you're a church school, you'll do this. If you're not a church school, you might do that. You know, I've got half yeah. a day. Yeah. You can't do a deep dive on no, that. No, so sensibly, they're looking at all of the foundation subjects together. But curriculum, I think, is the thread that runs through both now, which makes sense. However, of course, we have the same framework, no matter if you're um, doing EYT, so early years t- teaching, or primary, or secondary, or FE. And how you do a framework that covers all that, very well, I'm not sure. No, but we'll no. see how it develops. Yeah, that is interesting. just want to pick up on what you were talking about, teacher standards. Like mm. you say, um, you know, you're going against the teacher standards when you're um, a PGCE student, yeah. and, and I remember that. And I went into school, you know, I, I got a one, I were yeah. outstanding. And, and I had that kind of um, yeah. thing, you know, oh, I'm outstanding. And then you don't get any more support. You don't, you kind of, the standards, they're just they're forgotten. Yeah. They don't, it's almost like they're not even looked at. And you kind of think, well, what was all this for? And then... You're not getting the training anymore. And I remember reflecting a few years in and thinking, it's so easy for an NQT to get a one mm. because they know what the rules are. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I mean? Well, you've been drilled. Whereas, and I mean, our trainers are observed twice a week, every week. So they're getting all that feedback. Yeah. And then suddenly you go from loads of feedback, don't you, to none. Yeah. And I remember that feeling sitting there thinking, I mean, I was fortunate in my first year, I had an officer inspection, but that was the only way I yeah, knew I was yeah, all right. Yeah. I, I didn't know any other way that I was okay. No. And that's that's not on. And even even in the schools as well, you know, the whoever's observing is not observing that frequently. No. And it's almost like, do they even know what, what they're observing? Yeah, they you yeah. know, it, and it's almost like you need a something that runs through and maybe the teacher standards need to run through more and they should do really, technically they, yeah. they should but i don't because when really people reach the eps case. they're then assessed again aren't they against the teacher standards and whether they're exceeding yeah. them because that's the whole rule for ups yeah but yeah it does seem to be quite arbitrary they kind of just fall off i think mm. um yeah all right then so what do you think the biggest challenges are that um face trainee teachers in your opinion the first thing they've got to get right is behaviour management. If you haven't got behaviour management, you haven't got anything. And it doesn't matter whether they're 15 or 5. Yeah. You know, a, a class that's out of control, not listening, is not going to be a learning classroom. No. So I think that's the first challenge for all trainee teachers is getting that behaviour right. Um, and then I think the next thing is, for me, teaching, 
teaching practice should be teaching practice. It's not teaching expertise mm -hmm. for a start. So they're not, you know, some schools expect them to come in knowing exactly what they're doing and they need modelling. Yeah. And, you know, they need a really good mentor. And that's the second thing about initial teacher training, I think, is that the quality of mentoring is so important. And we are so grateful to mentors because it's unpaid. It's unvalidated. Nobody gives you, you know, there are mentor standards that a lot of people don't know about. But it's an unrewarded part of the job. Yeah. I mean, I would have liked it had the new um, Ofsted framework had some section in it for schools that recognised you know, and said perhaps that you can't get a good or an outstanding unless you are actively engaged in initial teacher education. Yeah. Because you do get the odd head teacher will say things like, oh, you know, you train them and we'll employ them. And, yeah. And it, and it doesn't work like that. It's no, a partnership. Especially when they're coming so often to it you. It is. It's a partnership. It's a relationship between us. And, and I mean, that's the other thing about the new Ofsted framework is that we are going to have to get much better at communicating with schools what we've done, you know, and then schools telling us, what they've kind of done to back that up. So, for example, I need to make sure, make it really clear what my first years have done in maths so far, and then the schools will then know how much input they've had on addition, subtraction, multiplication, mastery, etc. so far, and that kind of thing. And that's part of the new framework, because that communication is absolutely vital, and mentoring is just the most important thing. Mm. Obviously, you know, we've talked about, we used to have grades for teachers mm. even um, after the NQT, and we don't anymore. Do you feel like mentors should need to be a certain standard of, yeah, of teacher I, to be able to be a I mentor? I think sometimes you don't have to have, you know, if you said that they have to report for five years or something like that, I think that's silly because sometimes you can have the same, you know, you can have one year experience five times. Um, and sometimes yeah. it's quite good to be with a fairly young, and I don't mean in age, I mean in demographic um, teacher because they remember their own training yeah, and yeah. they're quite fresh on the standards and yeah, things like yeah. that. So that can be, I don't think NQT should have them. No, no. Because then you've got your own, you know, to me and NQT should be focused on their training and their teaching and their learning and they their assessment. They need to teach the same year group that they taught yeah. last year and just they need that, embed yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you can't pass that on. And also... There are things that you know as a teacher that you do instinctively that need to be made obvious to a trainee. Yes. And I don't think a lot of younger teachers in their you know, early years understand quite what they do. Yeah. And sometimes it's quite good to have sort of three or four years under your belt and then have a trainee yeah. and go, gosh, I thought I was still learning. But actually, looking at somebody who's, who's a brand new starter, yeah. I've learned so much and yeah. I can show you so much. Because an awful lot of good mentoring is about going, I'm doing this because, and we are modelling this because, and I've scaffolded this group because, and almost yeah. verbalising through thinking. your teaching the process of how you got to that point. Yeah. And I'm yeah. doing this behaviour management strategy because this particular child needs that. Whereas this child can cope with this type of behaviour management. Basically, what you're doing is teaching, but it's a different thing you're teaching, yeah. and, and we can easily forget. So you need to scaffold your student just like you scaffold your children. Yeah. What do you actually do? So you train your mentors, do you? Yeah, we do mentor development. So we try not to say training because it's okay. a bit. But we do, yeah, mentor development sessions with them. But again, the problem we've got with that is we do pay. You know, for them to come out, we pay supply. But what happens if they're coming from Oldham? What happens if they're coming from Tameside to us over in Huddersfield? What happens if they're coming from, you know, we've got students in Bolton, you've got places from all over. So it's yeah. that time. And we, we've done podcasts in the same way for the same reasons, yeah. you know, to try and get the message out. But it is a really difficult message. And all providers are having this big conversation about how can we up the impact of mentoring? How can we regulate the quality of mentoring? Yeah. Because it does vary in quality. I mean, I had to yeah. pull out a trainee at Christmas who'd unfortunately had a really bad experience with the mentor. The mentor barely talked to them. This poor trainee had lost weight. And then I got an email this morning 
with her whether to the school we'd moved her to, just singing her praise and saying how much she'd come on in confidence. Yes. And blossomed under the right sort of mentoring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not every trainee is suitable for the job and we know that, yeah. but often with the right kind of mentoring the majority, if they've got the right approach coming in one direction, can be met and supported in the other. And I, I, I can imagine as well how it could go down in the school. Or, right, okay, well, we want to get a trainee because we think that we're going to save some money. Mm. Um, we need somebody to mentor. Um, we're going to pick you. Yes. And you're like, hang on, I've already got this. I'm, you know, maybe I'm an RQT and I yeah. need time to embed what I'm doing. Um, I've got this subject. Yeah. Now I don't have any time. And, you know, yeah. and I feel... Resentful mentoring is the worst kind of mentoring. Yeah, mentoring. and it's an extra thing, isn't mm. it? It's a bit like when a head teacher changes a year group and you, you thought you were going to be in that year group again. Yeah. and Then suddenly you're not. And it's the thing is, it's so life-changing. You know, being in a new year group, having nothing, starting from scratch. It's, Absolutely. It's a life-changing thing. Um, okay, I'm liking this chat. This is really good. <laughs> we're learning so much. Um, okay, then. So you did mention about behaviour management yes. and you said that's the most important yeah. thing. How long do you actually give to behaviour management, say, on a PGCE? On a PGCE, uh, we do quite a lot. We, we do a lot of sessions that we call like what we call IPD, Initial Professional Development. And that's where we cover the kind of stuff that's not subject. So it's where you cover the uh, behaviour management, where you cover special needs, where you cover safeguarding, diversity, mm-hmm. including all of those types of big concepts. So we... We cover it initially when they first come in and then they'll have another session and then it's picked up by the link tutor as well when they're in school mm-hmm. um, and then when they come back in after their first placement we do more on it and then we do a special schools placement as well so then they get a bit more of it in a different way then. Yeah. So it's something I always say it's, it's, it's not like Ron Seal. One application doesn't last five years. Yeah. You need to be drip fed. Yeah. And we've also experimented a bit this year by having a kind of behaviour management unit on our um, VLE. Mm. that they have to then go through as well and read through. And we also recommend quite a lot of books, people like, obviously, Tom Bennett, mm. um, Charlie, um, what's his name, who did a list the other few years back, and people like um, Sue Cowley and Bill Rogers, mm. and about consistency. But we, it's got to be drip-fed. Mm-hmm. It's got to be drip-fed throughout the entire course, because, like I say, you can do it at the start, but maybe they're only doing groups at the start. Yeah. Or maybe they're in EYFS. So the behaviour management you need in EYFS is very different, different to that yeah. you need in Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2. Yeah. So it, it varies, but it's continually drip thread yeah. throughout the course because you, you just can't able, do it once. Yeah, you need to be able to build on your experience, don't you? Yeah. And think, oh, actually, yeah, this is why that didn't go right because yeah. now he's saying this, so next time I'll try this. And I, like, for example, my first years are just going out on placement now and they all have three targets, but their first target has to be behaviour management. Yeah. You know, so when they're doing their lesson observations with their mentor, it's how are you getting them sat on the carpet? What's the transition like? You know, how do you, do you tell them all to get up and go off as one? <laughs> no, you won't do that again. You no. know, and it's that yeah. conversation. Yeah. But again, it's that strength between what we do and what the mentor in the school does, because sometimes they don't link the two. And it's making those links really, really, really yeah. visible. I suppose in some ways it's it's just about making reflective teachers, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, you know? reflection is is absolutely essential. And I think reflect, you know, behaviour management was the one thing that I probably reflected on the most. Yeah. Um, having taught in a lot of really really tough schools, like I won't do that again. Well, and that's one of the things about the different routes as well that you do have to be careful because some routes and some providers don't give you the contrast part of our commitment and the reason why we said you know students come to us and say oh can I go to the school where I've been at or can I go to the school where my mum is or can I go to the school where I went to school myself as a child and the answer is no and it's not because we're being mean but because you have to have contrasting placements if you've only ever been in really really nice schools with very little behavior and you've had 20 kids and it's been great and it's been 
easier, mm. not always easy because then you get parents and there's a whole different ball game there of challenge. Yeah. But in terms of behaviour management, you need to have gone into a school where the challenge is higher yeah. and where it is more difficult for you know children. When I did my PGC, which was, um, oh, that must have been like 2005 or something like that. Um, and I did it in Liverpool in secondary. Mm, and we had that rule then. Yeah. It was interesting because I was in uh, Knowlesley. Oh, in, right, yes. my tough yes. side. It was secondary as well. Yeah. Um, and then I was in Magull for the, for the first oh, yeah. one, which was a nice one. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think, I think it is really important. And I think... You know, those reflections that you have and, and you learn things that you don't realise. So um, because I did secondary supply, I learned that you had to stand in front of the door um, up to 10 minutes before the end of the lesson. Otherwise, they walked out. Right. These little things I learned. But then fast forward maybe five years, I was on supply in a primary school. Um, it had come to the end of the day and I was letting the children go. And um, this one boy... I wanted him to be last, um, just so we could have a little conversation. Little chat. Um, and um, anyway, I just, I don't know, you know, sometimes where things happen and you're like, oh, how did how did that happen? So um, I'm letting the children go. And then before I knew it, I was stood in front of the door. And I'm thinking, this is weird. Why am I stood in front of the door? Oh, I tried got up and tried to get out. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, my word, my instinct, instinct. kind of just kicked in. That's Five it. years since I'd done... At secondary, I'd never had to do that in primary before, but there I was in front of the door, and he's like, "Oh, miss," and I'm like, oh, "I've still got, got it. it. I've still got but it." But those things that you see as instinctive, a trainee never sees as instinctive, it, and it yeah. has to be made explicit to them. Yeah. And that's some of the problems sometimes is that they see an amazing teacher and go, "Wow," but they don't have the skills to unpick where that all comes from. Yeah, that, you know, they just see an that. amazing teacher, and sometimes you say to a trainee, "Just observe such and such a body," and that's no good. You need to say, "Observe them." For. Exactly. They don't know what they don't know what that magic is until you see it. Yeah. And then it's unpicking. Well, what did they do? Where were they stood? What was their body language like? What questions did they ask? What was their tone of voice like? Yeah. You know, all sorts of little things that build up to make that picture of that amazing teacher. Yeah, and it's and it is a performance, isn't it? It is. This is Absolutely going to be acting. a great episode for mentors as well, uh, you know, to make them better mentors and, and get them to realise mm. the kind of things. Make that... the implicit explicit time after time and a bit, just a bit like with the children, it's about scaffolding. Same with planning. Yeah. You know, they won't know how to plan. So if it's their first placement, you need to show them your planning and talk them through your planning. And, and it's that mental conversation. I was saying teaching, it's not the job. Yeah. It's the space inside your head the job takes up that's the problem sometimes. And, you know, that's why you wake up in the middle of the night thinking of those children. It's the, it's the oh, my goodness, what am I going to do about Liam or Jordan or yeah. Jenna, whatever, you know. And so it's that going through step by step how you do it. You can't just lob them a load of old planning and say, just get on with it because they yeah. won't have a clue where to start. No. You need to say to them, don't you? This is why I've given this group this activity, yeah. and this is why, yeah. and this is why it's not the same as the theirs. And then and the next time you say, why have I given you know yeah. them? Why are they sat doing that? What? Why have I given them a, a word mat or why have they got you know concrete practical materials instead of yeah and that kind of thing? And these are all the things I could have uh, benefited from because when I went into primary, I'd done secondary. Yes. It was by outcome because it was performing arts. That was our differentiation at the time. Yeah. Um, and it was all new to me and I had to learn it. And, and, and even then I was thinking, why are they all doing different activities? This is very strange to me. And of course now we don't even do that. No, you know? well, this is it. It's, no. you know, with, with mastery type curriculum and mixed ability and this idea that everybody's got the bar and the ceiling and that kind of thing. And you don't put a ceiling on learning. It's no, changed a lot have, of people's practice. This is it. You know? and, and that's more aligned to what I was kind of expecting and what I'd done previously in secondary as well. Um, okay then. So... What are training providers doing to keep their trainees in the profession? Oof. 
difficult question because there's only so much we can do. I mean, we are talking to them a lot about workload, work-life balance, and that can be difficult for trainees because of the funding issues. A lot of them have to work one day at the weekend and that can yeah. be quite tricky, you know. So we do, we talk to them about effective planning. Um, but again, a little bit like when we talk about your resources on Classroom Secrets, it's about getting ready-made stuff but also tweaking it to fit what you need and adapting it to fit your needs not just taking something off the shelf because it's not always going to work you need to yeah. tweak it and understand it yeah. and it's that unpicking the planning so you understand what you're doing but then not reinventing the wheel all the time as well yeah. if you can find something or somebody's given you something you don't have to do everything from scratch no 80 percent is is good yeah and i think the concept of you know good enough is sometimes good enough and being slightly under under under-resourced but prepared rather than grumpy and overtired and resentful of your class because you've spent all weekend working. Yeah. None of that is good, good. But there's only so much we can do as providers. You know, I think we, and I think a lot of people don't realise we have partnership committees. All universities and providers have committees which have got teachers on. And if you're interested in teacher training, it's a good way in. Okay. Get involved with your partnership committee. And our things like our planning format come from that committee right. so that they evolve from that. We don't just sit there and go, you know, we are not using VAK to plan with, for example, or any of that. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That we get slated with, but we don't. And, and all our planning documents come from the partnership, which come from serving right. practicing teachers, yeah. especially for us, like when we do EYFS, mm -hmm. really important because EYFS can look so different in so many places yeah. that we have a range of planning strategies the students can dip into. Yeah. But and what we also say is when they're looking for jobs, they tend to panic. And I'm already getting people going, oh, well, I I've got a job yet. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's yeah. early days. But people start to get jobs and then students apply for jobs. And it's that I'm a big fan. It's like relationships. Rather the right one than and rather the right one and none than the wrong one. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't go rushing in. So if it's a school you're not sure, go and have a look round. Look round when the kids are in if you can, because it gives you a bigger ask the question, how do you spot NQTs? How many NQTs have you got already? Just, you know, how mm. many people have changed jobs? Do a bit of you know, sniffing around Ofsted, sniff around their um website. Websites tell you an awful lot if you read between the lines and yeah. do a bit of inference and deduction. Yeah. Um and just get a feel for the school and only kind of apply if you think it might be right. Yeah. The difficulty is, of course, you then worry it might be the wrong one or what happens if I've got two in the same week and one I want and one I don't want, I get off with the first one. Because teaching is weird in that you have to still have to do this whole kind of accepting on the day thing. Yes, yes. That in other careers you don't have to do. It's I not know, as bad as when I, I train when you have to sit around the sand table waiting for, for the Miss World moment where someone came out and said, Oh, really? Yes, because of course it was the days before mobile phones. Oh, right. yes, now they ring course. you at yeah, least yeah. <laughs> whereas then it was you had to wait and then you had to wait to see if the first person had got the job before you were allowed yeah, any yeah, feedback yeah, or yeah. could go home um but it's just it's that getting the right job for you yeah you know and you know if you have trained three to seven and then you decide to go for a job in year six being aware that there's going to be a really serious upping of the ante and changing of yeah, perspectives yeah. or the other way around if you've done a five to eleven course and you've never been in eyfs it would be a good idea to do a bit of voluntary in EYFS before you start applying for that to make sure it's yeah. definitely for you. Yeah. So it's right fit, right peg, right hole. And that's about all we can do at the moment. I'm hoping with the new early career framework, hopefully providers will be involved in that. Um, and so that we can kind of work. It's about working together. Yeah. I also think if you've done a PGCE, I remember people were starting to apply this time of year, yeah. February. And it's really and difficult because felt... they've not done their second placement yet. no. I'd done my first placement and I think maybe it was 40% timetable or something. Ours is 50, yeah. We'd, we'd hardly yeah. taught yeah. 
Um, and then you've got to be this expert, and, and I really that struggled really with difficult. that. See, Especially that's when my three-year degree has got a bit of an advantage in that they've, they're just finishing. They've just done 13 weeks in school. They've just done their 80%. So they get to they finish mm-hmm. sort of now, and they're applying for jobs, and they've got it in the bag, as it were, because yeah, yeah. they've had all that experience. Whereas with poor PGs, who've just done one placement, have taught 50% of the time, yeah. they're just going, you know, they're doing a special schools placement, things like that. But it is really early doors for them. It's yeah, difficult. because you're not... You're not really a no, teacher really, yeah no, no. no you're not a teacher you're only half baked <laughs> yeah yeah um and it really tricky especially if like I, like me i went and did a pgc in liverpool but i wanted to get a job back in halifax in a subject that didn't really exist in the area no, of course, yeah. you know um so for me actually it was better to kind of get to the end of it because then no jobs actually and came up anyway jobs may june july people are still getting recruited at that point but i think there's a sort of slight sense of panic sets in yeah and i think you've got to kind of just hold hold the line on that yeah and, you know, and it's like I say, better the right job than just any job. Also helpful, if, if you know that it's coming up, to sign up for supply because yeah. the things I learn on that first that first And I think year, also looking for things like maternity cover, where yeah. you're going to get two solid terms in a school. And again, if a school's sensible and likes the cut of your jib, they yeah. will, if they get an appointment coming up in that time, they will probably appoint you, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I think the rules are different about NQT now as well, because I think at the time you only had one or, uh, was it two years or something? Two yeah, or it's now, years, yeah, it's now. And now it's... Yeah, it's, yeah the whole rules have changed easier, on that. Um, because there was that panic, oh my word, will I get my NQT yeah. year in in time? Yeah, okay then. Um, so, do you feel... So when you talked about scaffolding mm-hmm. um, with the trainees, do you feel... That mentors kind of comply with that, and or they just throw them in the deep end. It depends. It, it varies, and it varies too much. And we'd like it to be non-variable, and that all mentoring to be the same. But it isn't because you know, as you were saying before, you don't know why that person's been, been made a mentor. No. Sometimes it's because they've got a volition for it and a moral drive, and you know that professionalism, and that's what they want to pass on, and that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And I met some amazing mentors through that. Um, other times it's because their head actually is being slightly underhanded and is looking at improving that teacher's performance and things right, yeah. like a student in there they'll up the ante to yeah. set a good example so you know sometimes it's just a needs must situation yeah. sometimes these days it can be financial because obviously students bring money with them so schools want a bit of that because they're obviously incredibly yeah, strapped yeah. for cash yeah, yeah. so it's it's really it's very very hard to say and like I say I, I think mentors are the heroes of the profession the unsung heroes and they need far more recognition than they get yeah oh Well, they're getting it now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, then. So I've got loads of questions from the team. I said I had a million questions. Um, So Rachel um, from Classroom Secrets, she says, what do you think needs to be improved to better support NQTs and RQTs so that retention of teachers will improve? I think it's got to be be looking at workload and work-life balance. It's got to be looking at realism. I'm not sure the new... Ofsted framework has helped that, particularly not, I have to say, from my point of view in primary, because schools have suddenly gone, oh my God, curriculum responsibilities. Yeah. And that's a whole realm of things. And I think if you're just starting to get the hang of the classroom, the assessment and things like that, I think part of the responsibility lies with us as providers to make sure, in my view, there are no surprises. And I would say that there shouldn't be any surprises. So you should have done some of the basics like done an assembly or scaffolding in an assembly, you know, all of the extra stuff that teachers do that's outside of the delivery side of things, they need to have had at least a taster of to yeah, know what the workload involves. that's a good point. Involves. I never did an assembly, really. so, yeah. Um, I also think we need to look at mental health and resilience on board of trainees. Mental health issues have shot up. Yeah. 
Mm. You know, if I went back five or ten years, it was rare I had mental health issues flagged up on Newcastle entry forms. It's now really, really common. Mm -hmm. And we're having to do an awful lot more work at university to support people with mental health problems when they come into the profession. Mm -hmm. And that then carries on. Um, I think also people coming into the profession need to be realistic. Mm It will never be a profession, and this is controversial, but it'll never be a profession where you don't have to take stuff home with you. Yeah. It never was. There was never a golden day. That, but way in, you know, back in the early nineties, you still had to take marking home. Yeah. The difference is who owned that marking. I took marking home because it was for me to judge where my children, what the diet was, what did they need yeah. next. Now I think part of the problem is with teaching is who's it for? Yeah. Is it for Ofsted? Is it for SLT? Mm. Or is it for me? And if it's for you and your class, then nobody minds doing it. But if you're doing it yeah. for a hurdle, you're doing it because somebody says you have to yeah. put this data in a box or mark in pink and stupid green or write, yeah. you know, write verbal feedback on a reception child's or work, a even if they can't read it. You know, pointless hoops that people are jumping through for consistency and all these other things. Yeah. You know, and schools need to take responsibility for that. And, you know, my rule with schools is if I'm putting something new in, what am I taking out? Mm. You know, and I think... Looking after your NQTs. And that's so important and so many schools don't do that. Checking in with your NQTs. Regular meetings with an induction tutor. Are you okay? Are you all right with this? You know, I've had, you know, if your NQT's shouting a lot, to my mind, don't go in there and start telling them off for shouting. Shouting, to my mind, is a teacher's way of dealing with stress. Yeah. They are under stress. Something is triggering them with their behaviour management. Mm. They need support. They need guidance. They need a support plan, which is another word for capability in a lot yeah, of places. Yeah. A support plan should, should should be that. It should be a support plan. But don't put an NQT on support plan. Just do your mentoring right of an NQT. They are not fully formed. They are not fully developed. They've had initial input, yeah. but they need continuous input to yeah. develop. And I always feel really sad when I see on Facebook sites NQTs selling all their books. Yeah. Because you shouldn't be. Because you should need, you know, I always say Derek Haylock is my maths book of guidance. You need that. You need, you'll still need Rose and Shine. You'll yeah. still need all these other things all the way through and we should be continually developing ourselves as professionals but we need space to do that yeah space to think space to reflect and i think that's the greatest gift you can give your nqt is that space to say what's working in here what's not working yeah stand back and just go to the back of the room if your class are working and look at them and see what's going on and judge the temperature and look at the management and the resources and what's mm. going on really in that class and having that space to reflect rather than being like a mad hamster on a wheel just churning through the planning churning through the data churning 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 and not looking at how to make it better yeah i just find you know what you've been talking about really interesting because it's really easy for us all to forget isn't it that an nqt is somebody who is kind of still in the training phase Absolutely. not just a cheap option that should be a fully fledged teacher. teacher and that is often what what's expected Um, and that's obviously when they fail and like you say like the support plan well how can you put them on a support plan to be a fully fledged teacher when they're not a fully fledged teacher yet anyway Um, and we can only do especially in the year you've got so little time and because the way um because of the way it's been structured since the govian years you know this idea that you know all teacher training should be in school all teacher training should be in school well, if it could be in school, it would have been in school for years. Mm. But your job in school is to teach the kids in front of you, not to teach trainees in front of you. You and haven't got capacity. about that side of it as well. That's a whole different Exactly. So thing, we get it? such a little amount of time. I think we get 50 or 60 days now. Yeah. Well, to do everything you need to do in that time, it's not enough. No. I mean, to be fair, you can argue whether a year is enough or any time is enough. Mm. But, you know, when you've had half a day on geography, if they're ill and they miss that half a day, they've never done geography, you know, they might have no. seen it taught. 
So then to suddenly say in their RQT, by the way, your geography lead. Yeah. It's not you enough. kind of just have to work it all out, don't you? Yeah. Do you think then, just on this, do you think it would be beneficial to have rules where possible, because I know that it might not be possible in a small school, where, you know, we could kind of say an NQT, say if they're in year four, um, because that's quite common for NQTs, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, because it's a safe, safe year. Yeah, safe year, that they have to then be in year four in their RQT so they have that space to reflect. Right. Yeah, I would say for me, three years in a year group is enough. Yeah. You know, before you think about moving on. First year, you're kind of just getting through it. Yeah. Second year, you should be perfecting, tweaking, improving, developing. Same with the third year. And I think the same with the curriculum. If we're looking at curriculum in depth, then you do your first year of your curriculum and go, oh, that was good in the Vikings, but this didn't work and they didn't know yeah. that and they didn't know that date and we need to come back to that. Then you do that in your second year and hopefully by the yeah. third year, you've got something that looks like a coherent curriculum. Yeah. It'll vary because obviously your children vary. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, so I, I interviewed um, Kelly Ashley. Um, couple, it was only a couple of days ago that it went out. And we were talking about this and about how um, we're kind of just expected to do a... We're expected to create it and it for it to be perfect. Mm. And there's this expectation that it's going to be different every time yeah. instead of creating something that we're going to follow. Mm. And yeah, all right, you tweak it and you make it you your own. It. Yeah. But yeah, we should be making something that, you know, in every other profession, we, we plan well, it I well. Think secondaries do that a lot better because they have more of a structured curriculum to follow. They do yeah. do a lot more tweaking. Whereas I think in primary, I don't know how we got to this point. Where it's, it's like with the introduction of textbooks. People, when I trained, there were textbooks about. Mm-hmm. And then we went through a period of like, oh, no, textbooks are terrible. But then it becomes worksheet-led, yeah. which, again, isn't always grateful either. Yeah. And a combination, but knowing your resources really well and thinking, right, last year this worked really well. This cohort are better or are worse. They're going to need more scaffolding, less scaffolding. What do I do to tweak yeah. it? Rather than going, oh, new, oh, new, oh, new, yeah. all the time. I think it's important what to be able out. to use everything and yeah. and also and i think things like you know putting all your resources on a shared drive on the on, on the on the system of a computer is really useful for that and that's something again that i know secondaries do but primaries tend not to do as much mm. you know so people can go right this is the year two geography folder look these are all the resources we've used this year and this is for you so if you're brand new into year two this is what we're doing and i think obviously, obviously bigger schools do that as well because they've obviously got multiple year groups but if you haven't got multiple year groups, it's really hard. A one-form entry or a less than one-form entry primary school can be a really lonely place to be as an NQT. I also think that that can be um, a bit frowned upon. I remember, so my first year in primary <laughs> was, um, it was in a really tough school. And um, I heard, because there was nothing there, um, and I didn't really get any support from mm. um, the other. There were three in the, the same year, um, and one of them was actually Key Stage 2 lead and said to me on the first day, don't come to me. I don't share planning. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh okay. Um, I'm secondary trained. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, That's not helpful. No, but it was it was good for me because, well, yeah, you know, a, yeah. I got Shock through. and awe. Yeah, this is it. it <laughs> and people do get through, but should we should we not be aiming for something better than getting we through? We should, we should. But I remember um, speaking to, there was an NQT in that, that year group as well. And um, she said, oh, did you not know? Um, over the summer holidays, what had happened is... Um, they decided that people were were reusing the same planning and they shouldn't be, so they just deleted it all off the drive and said, okay, right, you've got to start from scratch. And I was like, what now? (laughs) And sometimes in teaching, I think we can be a little bit, well, it was hard for me, so it can be hard for you. Because I get that a little bit with mentors saying, well, I was only, you know, the last time I was observed, I was told I was required, so my student can only be, and it's like, it doesn't work like that. No. 
and like let's I say, be supportive and let's yeah. yeah let's let's just you know if you can be anything be kind yes yes okay so how would you prepare students then for taking the leap into the first um class you know where they're the teacher as a qualified teacher we talk to them quite a lot at the end of sort of um you know, at the end of their last placements, I've been saying that to this to my third years, that for the last two weeks of placement, I want you to be saying to yourself, and I want your mentors to say to you, what would you do if, mm. you know, a problem comes up with the parent, right, okay, what are you going to do about that? Yeah. You know, and putting that whole thought process into mind of, if this was my classroom, what would I do? Yeah. You know, what if, what if, what if? And I think they need okay. to do that on the end of their placement. And then when they get back into uni, we do quite a lot of work. We bring in, you know, head teachers, we bring in ex-trainees. Mm. We talk to them about classroom organisation. What can you do over the summer? And it's simple things in primary, you know, if in early years, then it's the idea that you get... Um, pillowcases and you put all your lego in the pillowcase and tie it up with a hairband and you stick it to your washing machine to clean it and little things yeah, like that you know yeah. how do i organize resources do i used to take all my trays out in the garden with my pressure washer yeah you know and pressure wash all my trays because you haven't got money for new trays and things like that so it's just the practical stuff how are you going to set up your classroom you know what about whiteboards whiteboards pens and rubbers how are you going to do that are you going to have someone with a monitor are you going to have individual ones in a ziploc bag you know how are you going to organize the room so it works for you for your behavior management yeah. what are you going to put on the walls what are your working walls going to look like? And that varies from school to school because yeah. some, you know, some particular academy chains like everything in the same colour, it has to be exactly the same. Some don't worry about it. Yeah. So again, that has to follow your policy. Yeah. And we talk a lot to the students about when you get your first job, look at the policies, make sure you know you're operating within them for everything from behaviour management onwards. Um, but yeah, make you, the room your own. And I can remember, I can remember my first day of teaching. Yeah. I remember what I wore. I wore my Doc Martens underneath my trousers because they made me feel, feel like comfortable and yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, content with myself. I remember I wore a pink shirt with a waistcoat. I can remember everything. I remember walking up and down till they came in because um, it was my first day. But there's nothing like that joy of shutting the door and they're yours. Yeah. Because teaching practice is like Strictly Come Dancing. Yeah. You're trying to show how good you are while still not treading on somebody else's toes as the professional. Yeah. And you're borrowing their children. Yeah. They're their precious resource. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's their day to your piggybacking. And you're being and judged all the time. Yeah, and you're being judged twice a week, every week. Whereas the joy of NQT is that you get to shut the door. And if you haven't got TA, it's just you and the children. And if you do have a hideous lesson that's a disaster, you reflect on it, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself down, and you do it better next time. Yeah. Whereas yeah. when it's an observation lesson, it's so high stakes all the time, you haven't got that, yeah. you know, that anxiety which yeah. comes with that, and it's your room. But, you know, when I always say settle into it and learn that good enough is good enough. You know, nobody died from not laminating something. Mm. Can you do it better? Do it more simply. Strip it back. You know, my golden rule of really of learning is: imagine a class of squirrels. You're giving them a nut. What's their nut of the day, and have they all got it? If they haven't, how are you going to get it to them? If they have, where are they going next? And it's as simple as yeah, that. Yeah. Don't overcomplicate it. I love that you that you talk through all these things to think about because. You, you know, when you get a job in a school, you don't know where the white be no. whiteboard pens are. Yeah. You can end up where there's none left and you have to buy them all yourself. Self. And glue people sticks, don't realise these sticks. things. You, like, you need to know. You're not in much before that time. You need to know who to go to. So, you need to... Where the books are kept. What sort of exercise books can I yeah. use? How many have I got? What about glue sticks? I always have a pot with, you know, if you, if you so when you've got a dead glue stick, put the lid in a spare pot so you've always got yeah. them. Little things like and, that matter. And organising things like a TA as well. So, yeah, that can be you know, really, really difficult for trainees. And you take, you could take all those books home and write them out yourself, but if you're organised, your TA yeah. that's going to be next year could be writing all those 
books out him. on the last day and working term. with TAs is a real challenge for trainees particularly if they are young in age because they can have trainees that are like as old as their mum or dad yeah, yeah. and managing that person and learning at that relationship can be really really challenging and especially now because you're getting you know I'm going to the schools now where they've got maybe one between two year one classes yeah. even sharing them at EYFS level now because of the funding situation Okay, so I feel like we've kind of um, covered about the biggest challenges um, for trainees. So what do you think schools could do to enable a smooth transition from NQT to RQT? I think get, breaking them in gently and not sort of saying, right, you're now an RQT, so now you get no support. By the way, you're now in charge of computing and geography. And, you know, when Ofsted come, it's all going to be down on you. Mm -hmm. It's that we recognise you still you know, developing. We've looked at you. You've been assessed over your three terms, hopefully. These are your strengths. This is what we want you to look at. We still want you to drop in. Right. And I would, rather than having, you know, because I would expect during an NQT, I expect you to have weekly meetings, then moving to fortnightly meetings and probably moving to kind of monthly meetings. And mm -hmm. then by the end, but I would still, you know, every half term, you'll have a meeting with the head, the deputy, somebody to check in about how you are. You know, and put just put strategies in place so they still feel like there's some, you know, mm. scaffolding is a temporary thing. Yeah. Shouldn't be a flying buttress, you shouldn't be leaning on them and they shouldn't need, if you've done the NQT year right, hopefully, yeah. they should be in a position to be at ease with the, the year because they've been through the cycle so they know what goes on at harvest what goes on at christmas how to deal with the nativity all of those things yeah. they've been through once yeah so that side of things should be better behavior management etc but they still you know you could end up with a completely different type of class yeah. with a completely different set of needs you could have eal children that you've never had before new to english you could have child with extreme special needs you know and special needs walk in and you just don't know what you're getting. Mm. You know, I go into schools. There was, a, there was a school the other day with a child with a tracheotomy. Never seen that before in my career. Yeah. You know, um, the school where I um, am vice chair, we've got a child with pathological demand avoidance. I didn't know anything about that. To go away and read up about it. Yeah. You know, you are never finished. No. You are never fully formed. And be always, I'm always very wary of teachers who tell me they're experts because none of us are. No. Everybody's a learner. Um, and I think it's making it clear that there's somewhere for that RQT person to go, that mm. you're not expecting to just, you know, that's it now. You're not, you know, you're not new anymore. You've run out of excuses. Bang. Yeah, and also I think, especially like with the deep dives and knowing that, yes. that that's the thing that could I mean, happen. Because you could have a deep dive in the, the October when you've only taken over the subject in the September. This is so it. you need scaffolding. And do you even know, you know, what's yeah. there? They need to know what's expected. Expected, and we need hopefully. I mean, the, the ideal isn't it? It's just a handover from the previous subject leader. Mm. That kind of never happens. No. You just normally get given. I mean, I trained history geography. I never led it. Yeah. I did maths. I did RE. I did um, computing. I did DT because yeah. you just cover. What what's required what by the school? To be done, this is but it, in the yeah. old days, it used to be you got you know half a day every half term to do your subject, and that kind of disappeared under the previous framework. Now it's come back, but people are like a bit in shock. They don't know where the DT is or what they're doing, yeah. and you know, and it's that curriculum development. I mean, at least good news that came out yesterday about the Ofsted framework allowing another year mm -hmm. for schools to get themselves curriculum ready. Um, but having it's gone needed. through deep dives, they are really intense. They are. They want yeah. to know, you know, how do you know? Why are you teaching that before that? And why are they doing that instead of that? And they're asking children questions about, do they know where the Indian Ocean is at year one? And, you know, can you name artists? You know, do you know your Kandinsky from your... And it, it's, it's yeah, difficult. Yeah, and it's the kind of questions that we'd be like, uh, hang on a second, let me just think, you know. 
Well, I'm having to improve the trainees' general knowledge in order for them to do, you know, because a lot of them, we give them a map of the UK and ask them to put the capital cities on, and some of them can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it's not necessarily known stuff. So it's improving everybody's general yeah. knowledge. There's no such thing as general knowledge, is there? Because it's not general. Um, in order to get them up to the speed for some of these deep dives, because it yeah. is a change of culture. I think it's good because it's ensuring that broad curriculum. Yeah that some schools definitely are narrowed to, definitely mm -hmm. too far, but it's how we cover that. And yeah, again, in yeah. small primaries, it's really difficult. And enough time, because we, we tend to rush things, don't we, and, and do it quite fast. Um, so obviously you're Vice Chair of Governors now. Yeah. Um, so how did Ofsted compare as a teacher to Ofsted as Vice Chair? Um, with Ofsted as a Vice Chair, it was um, equally grilling, um, and you feel a lot of responsibility. No, because strategically we're responsible for the strategic direction of the school. And interestingly, in this one that I was in, um, he did ask about what have you done about teacher workload? What's your awareness about teacher workload? Which I thought was really good. Yeah. Um, that surprised me, but did ask for evidence mm -hmm. of, you know, where could we say in the minutes that we challenge teacher workload yeah, and things yeah, like that. And yeah. I could provide that. Yeah. But that was refreshing that they did ask about that. Yeah, yeah. And they asked about our knowledge of the curriculum mm -hmm. and our awareness of the curriculum and that kind of thing. But you have to remember that governance is strategic. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we could talk about the general directions, but, you know, I know the topics, but that's also because I'm a parent yeah. of a child in the school. Yeah. But anything deeper than that, and we didn't know, and that was something that we felt as governors that we do need to know. However... I'm not a big fan of governors walking into school and doing like lesson observations on teachers. I mean, I would be okay, I think, doing that yeah. kind of thing because I know the subject and I'm a teacher. I'm yeah. still a teacher. I would class myself as a teacher. Yeah. Um, but when you've got people from industry and you've got solicitors and all sorts of different walks of life, they don't know what they're looking for. No. And I don't think that's helpful. No. You, know, you need to be able to rely on your senior leadership team. But I think what we probably need to do is make sure that we have like drop-ins from curriculum leads and saying, this is what we're doing in our subject. This is our curriculum map. This is how we know what's going on. And that yeah. is enough. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't need to be knowing who orders the pencils. I just need to know we've got enough money to order the pencils. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, I know from sort of being in this role now, I don't have time for all that. You know, no. I have people email me about jobs and I'm like, listen, I know nothing about that job because yeah. I'm not the recruiting manager. And... I really don't want to be because yeah. I don't have time. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You can't yeah. know everything. No, can you can't. No, and I think it's really difficult. I mean, if you want to be a chair, I mean, people, we are chair retired. And people said to me, will you step up? And I can't because I work four days a week at least. I'm doing a PhD. I'm a, mm -hmm. I do a bit of supply teaching. And I'm the vice chair. I do not have the space in my no, life. Because no. as, a, as a chair, you have to be able to drop everything. If there's a safeguarding issue, yeah. you need to be available to your head. Yeah, you yeah, know. you do. Um yeah, I know that because my operations director is yeah. a, but I definitely, a chair. But I definitely felt responsible really for the Ofsted, very. Yeah, it was a definite deep dive drill. Yeah. Okay, so if you could if you could only offer one piece of crucial advice to people who are embarking on their NQT year, what would it be? You have to be certain it's the job for you. It has to run through you like a stick of rock. Teaching, people argue whether it's a vocation or whatever, and it doesn't matter how how much we pull back on, say, workload, it's still going to be that you work absolute hell for leather during term time. That's yeah. the way it's, and you, you know, you need, and, you, and you, you swim, you swim, 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 and then you come up for air in the holidays. Yeah. And it's, it's never, I can't see how that changes because the rhythm of the day is frenetic. Yeah. So you have to be certain it's for you. Mm. So get yourself into a school, but don't just play with children. Don't do football with year six. Mm. That's not the job. 
And if you had a nice time at primary school yourself, great, because I could have been your teacher, that's marvellous. But you need to see the planning, you need to see the rigour, you need to see the assessment, you need to see the data, you need to understand that, yes, we play in EYFS, but what underpins that play? Yeah. Where does it come it's from? What's the planning, out, the thought, the, you know, it doesn't just come out of the ether, even though sometimes the government suggests it might do. There is planning and rigour and direction behind all of that, no matter which age group you are in. And you need to know what you're getting yourself into. And because if you know that and you're prepared for that, then the rest of it should come. Yeah. But if you're not, it can be a nasty shock. Yeah, absolutely. And that's similar. And I think in primary, we suffer from roasting to glasses syndrome. Oh, I had a lovely time at primary school, you know, yeah. and I had a lot, and it was great, and I loved my primary teacher, and that's fantastic. But it's not the same as the job. No, no, and and you never, you know, we used to think that teachers lived at school and yeah, and, and they still do, things. don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we that, never oh, thought you know, that they took marking home. We never. And I that. say, and I go, you know, I do the interviews for both the BA and the PGC, and I show them a copy of the timetable and say, this is what it's going to be like. And all your friends, if you're doing the undergraduate, will be doing seven hours a week, and you're doing seven hours a day, and we want you in at eight, and we don't, you know, you can't leave till, you know, half past four, five o'clock at the kind of earliest. You need that professionalism from the get-go yeah. and if you're 18 that's a really big ask it is yeah and, and, I and if you're not ready for that then that's fine do something else do because we do a child or studies degree we do an early years degree we do special needs there's yeah. so many other degrees that involve children and childhood that you can do now so you paddle about yeah. and you get a bit of a flavor of it and then you can do a pg yeah because if you're going to come and do my undergraduate you need to be absolutely set and the same with a pg because it is the job yeah. that is the purpose of it you know, it is for becoming a primary school teacher and going, oh, it's a bit more hard work or, oh, my child's ill, what do I do? Well, yeah. you had children before you come on the course. You know the course is a commitment, so you've got to have some childcare in place before you come. Yes. You know, it's yeah. difficult, but that's the way it is. Yeah, and it's like having a job, isn't it? It is. I mean, I I mean that's exactly what it is. I can't imagine what it must be like sort of doing the degree because I remember, you know, my, my degree actually was quite full on. We had a lot of um, taught time mm. because it was performing arts, obviously, yeah. together and things. But then when I did the PGCE, which was kind of the fourth year, I, I could not have a part-time job then. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a part-time job all the way through uni. But that year, I mean, I was one of the lucky ones who got a bursary. It wasn't a lot. It was about... £2,000 or something because it was um, performing arts. arts at the time, yeah. <laughs> yes. um, and they didn't even teach in my area. No. Um, they do now, obviously. But um, yeah, there was no way I could have had a part-time job because I, went, I got home and I, I worked. And to yeah. be honest, I don't really feel like it was that much different from my NQT year. No, um, and to be fair, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be because, like I said, there should be no surprises. So, And hopefully things get quicker. And marking yeah. does take you forever when you first start, mm -hmm. but then you pick up the tips and the tricks and you get quicker with it and people are experimenting. And that's the joy of my job is that I go and see so many schools. I get to see what's going on. Yeah. You know, I go to about 40 odd schools a year. So I get to see who's doing what and people moving to no more mark, no mark marking, yeah, feedback and assessment and how things are developing and changing. And I think the oil tanker of workload is turning. Yeah. But you do need to just be aware that it does, it is very involved and it will take up a large chunk of your life. And I mean, I've had somebody, even this week, drop out of the BA and said, it's just, I can't cope with the intensity of it. Yeah. And to be fair, our BA isn't massively intense. They teach 25%. It's group based yeah. to start off with. We, we introduce it gently, but still, if you're not expecting it, no. it's if a big thing. you can't cope with that intensity, then it's, it's yeah, not right. It's not it? for you. And... Um, so what do you look for then when you're assessing trainee teachers, Sarah's asked? Well, I interview. Um, at the start, 
Uh, I'm looking for passion, yeah. commitment, realism, resilience. You know, people who aren't going to go, oh, I've got a bit of a cold, so I can't go in, because that's not the way teaching works. No. Um, you can't just park them in a filing tray. They're, there's a class full of children to be taught, yeah. whether you're there or not. Yeah. So, yeah, passion, realism, resilience, understanding, awareness of the subject knowledge that's involved now. Yeah. Particularly if you want to teach up a key stage two, yeah. you really do need to be bang on. Yeah. And, you know, you need to be able to speak clearly and communicate well as well. Yeah. You know, it were great. No, sorry, you can't do that. You've got to model appropriate grammar. Yeah. You know, I always say to parents at open days, you've always wanted to create your children's grammar. Do it now. Get yeah. them out of those bad habits because, yeah. you know, teaching standards TS3 is quite strong on that. Yeah. Um, and we do occasionally turn students away because they their speech is just too poor. Yeah, yeah. Like at the end of every sentence and you've got to be able to use you know vocabulary is massive at the moment mm. massive thing i was in a reception class on wednesday they've been doing about the gingerbread man and the children um had decided that the, the, the best way to describe the gingerbread man was gullible and i thought that was fantastic yeah, these are ryfs yeah. these are four-year-old children and they were using the word gullible appropriately and that was yeah. brilliant but you know you need to have a strong sense of passion commitment and a moral desire for me to improve children's lives. Mm -hmm. That, for me, is the ultimate. That's why we all do it, is to make a difference to kids' lives. So that the children that come into you, hopefully, will leave and be able to make their mark on the world that bit better than perhaps when they came into it in your class. What about when you're observing them, say, in the first placement as opposed to the last placement? What kind of things are you looking for in both of those? I'm looking, in the, in the first instance, I'm looking for relationships. Relationships with the children, relationships with the staff, appropriate kind of tone of voice. Have they got warmth? Have they got some sort of presence? You know, if they're stood in the corner talking like that or not even I, engaging with the children, they don't get on their hands and knees easily and they're not got that warmth. That's what I'm looking for. Mm. I'm looking for an aware, a brief awareness of safeguarding, especially at interview, just that awareness that that's our main role. Yeah. At the end of the day, the first role is keep children safe. So they need to have that understanding and anything that makes me worried about that is a straightforward no yeah. in terms of recruitment I mean, in terms of lesson observations it's relationships with ts1 and ts7 i'm looking for mm -hmm. do they have the right relationship with those children are they building on that are they getting to know each child do they know that you know little fred they can give that hard stare to and go no and do they know that if they said that to that particular child then it might set them off and you know so they have to use different strategies for different children yeah. that relationships that awareness Building a relationship with the staff, not alienating the staff, not telling the staff things like, you know, one student once said to the, because they'd been, they worked at a private daycare nursery, said, if you need any help with Ofsted, I can help you with that. It's like, shut up now. <gasps> wow. You know, just <laughs> sometimes knowing your place yeah, and knowing yeah. when to speak and when to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of thing. And developing relationships with, with teaching assistants and not annoying them by telling them they're not a proper... <laughs> I love you know, about that all day. They'll get a proper job one day like them, that kind yeah, of thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I had that a tact lot. Tact and diplomacy, <laughs> tact and diplomacy all the time. And But then then it's about behaviour management, because if you haven't got that, if the children are just running riot... Yeah. And I did work for some time with the Troops to Teachers scheme, which was fascinating and really, really good. Mm. And it was the most... It was a shame that went, because it was the most men into primary I've ever dealt with. And it made me laugh because the whole premise of that when Michael Gay brought that in was the kind of whole, the whole idea of, you know, children dropping and giving people press-ups and stuff. And actually a lot of those were men and they found behaviour management really hard. Yeah. Because they didn't want to come across as angry dad yeah. and shouty dad type person. So they ended up being too soft because, of course, as a yeah. five-foot-nothing woman, my behaviour management strategies do not ever rely on physical 
mm-hmm. overbearing. Yeah. I have to use different strategies. So in some yeah. ways it's easier. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the time with lads, it can be quite hard yeah. to know what to do that doesn't involve size or that yeah. type of overbearing, you know. Especially in primary, because I feel in secondary... It, it's different. Yeah. It's different kind of fish. Yeah. They are very different animals. They are. Yes, I experience both. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> Which so, is good. Yeah, it's I definitely. think it's really good. I think I would encourage more people. I've worked with some fantastic people who've come from secondary to primary. Obviously, it tends not to go the other way just because of the subject thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you kind of have to be really you haven't got specialised. Your degree in it, yeah. This is it, yeah. Okay. So, Sarah also wants to know, do you think there's a greater burnout of teachers in more challenging schools? <sighs> I think working in a challenging school is very difficult. But then again, I don't think any school is easy. And I always say to the trainees, we want good trainees in all schools. And sometimes there can be a bit of a teacher martyr. I'm working in the hardest school possible. My children do this on a daily basis thing, which is nonsense. We don't want that. All schools need good like teachers. Like top trumps. My school's yeah. harder than your school. school. Yeah. You know? And yes, there are more challenging schools. But on the other hand, sometimes challenging schools can have more money. Yeah. You know, when I talk to schools, um, you know, Year six, every child's got an iPad. Well, yeah. you know, in the school where I'm vice chair, we're looking to have an iPad per class, let alone yeah. because of pupil premium, yeah. that can fund more support roles. You know, a lot yeah. of schools I go into now are sharing TAs. The funding issue is massive. Mm-hmm. And the only schools that seem to be doing well are those in high deprivation areas. Yeah. But the burden of the Ofsted has been awful on them and the burden of the data and, and that kind of thing has mm-hmm. been really strong on them. But then sometimes they're going to those sort of schools and the collegiateness, the support... Yeah. within that from the staff can be really strong. I think where you run the risk of that is where maybe you've got a school that's got nobody, you know, the most experienced teacher there's only been there three years or four years. Mm. I think if you're running a school mainly on NQTs and RQTs, then you are going to get burnout because there's not that age and experience yeah. to support and hold people up when they're feeling wobbly. So now I don't think it's, I think there's probably is more burnout, but I think that's more of the nature. You get more burnout, so you get more younger staff, so you get more burnout because you've got younger staff. Yeah, yeah. You know. and, and obviously there are schools that, that employ an NQT every year, kind of on a 12-month yeah, contract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, so we all know schools that have funding challenges, <laughs> but do you think... The funding's well distributed, you know, no. should, it be done, should it be done differently? Uh, it's hard to say, isn't it? But I do know at the minute, every school I go into, I mean, I've seen heads in tears this year. Um, you know, I've seen heads say, <coughs> I'm a supportive head, I'm a good head, my staff are great, I want them to stay with me, but I'm now penalised because I've got staff on UPS, mm. you know. Whereas there's a lot of yeah. schools who clear people out and say they can only be on M. That's wrong. Yeah. We need staff to have been, you know, when I started teaching, there were teachers quite common to have teachers who've been in school for 20 years. Yeah. It's not anymore. No. You know, I don't know. I know of one person in my cohort that's still in a school, in a, in a teaching role in a school, wow. rather than in leadership or has gone into different forms of school management or gone yeah. like me into a different form of teaching or done something else. Yeah. And that, it's not good. No. Um, I think schools in high deprivation get high pupil premium, but then they also get high pupil turnover and high staff turnover, so that's a disadvantage in there. Mm. And I also think if you're in a very middle-class school where you've got you know really supportive parents who've got the money, you can get money from your parents. It's yeah. not right, but you can tap your parents. Yeah. I think the squeeze middle, like the school where I am, where I'm a vice chair, where we're mainly blue-collar, mainly working-class parents who are managing, they don't get pupil premium they're not on any sort of support but we can't ask them for 
10 pounds here or 10 pounds there. You know, we try the PTA, we raise money, but it's not thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of pounds. And that's where I think the real pinch has been seen. You know, heads that keep staff for longer, heads that aren't maybe in academies, but even in academies, Sometimes I'm worried about the distribution of money in academies. Mm. There's, you know, I see some of these CEO pay and I'm worried yeah. because then I'm looking at the schools and they're, you know, really short. You know, staff shouldn't be having to buy paper and glue sticks. No. You know, that shouldn't be a thing. Um, and I think we need to look at the distribution of money and the formula for it getting it in. I don't see how children go in value from year six to year seven by so much more money. No. I don't, and I don't understand how small schools get really penalised, I think. You know, I was seeing a yeah. lot of turnover of heads in small schools because the pay. Yeah. It's not, you know, no. at the end of the day, yes, you've got fewer children, but the responsibility is still the same. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and, and then if you've got you a work, more responsibility if, well, if you've got a teaching, school. if you're a teaching head, you know, which is great in one way because then it keeps your feet on the ground yeah. um, and keeps you very grounded in the job, which is great. But, how you balance that off with all the safeguarding stuff? I mean, I was at Safer Recruitment on on Wednesday. All of the safeguarding stuff is massive now. Yeah. All the things you have to take on. I mean, the school where I'm vice chair, I would love to have pastoral workers. We've restructured. We've taken out all our assistant heads. We've got one assistant head, one deputy, and one head in a two-form entry. Mm. But our kids that cause us issues, and we take kids on managed moves because we're a proper community school, cost us a fortune in yeah. staffing. And we haven't got it. We've gone to one TA between two. And then, but we've still got to keep up the same standards. The government isn't saying, oh, by the way, yeah, yeah. you can drop your SATS results. Yeah. You've still got to, you know, be doing your boosters and be doing this and be doing that on far fewer staff. And I think that is coming to a crunch. Yeah. Would you recommend then, um, just, just on this, do you think it's better, if possible, an NQT can join a school, you know, that's at least two form entry? Yes and no, because some people, I had a colleague that I was her, um, NQT mentor and she went from a one form entry to a two form entry and hated it because mm. she said in the one form entry I, had, I it was my curriculum I and I could decide and I could have control and there's an element in all teachers of control freakery we're all yeah. terrible control freaks because <laughs> yes, we yes. wouldn't be you know so I think it, you have to know yourself yeah. and I think if you want to be scaffolded and supported but then sometimes you can have a curriculum that you don't like and you don't really want to teach in post yeah. on you. Yeah. Or, so it swings and roundabouts. You know, you've so got again, somebody else's planning you yeah. don't like or appreciate. So again, know yourself. Mm. Know yourself. And having hopefully been in a range of schools, you'll have seen a snapshot of different things. Because I always say to a trainee, where do you think you want to teach? Give me a cohort. What, what about type of schools you want? Yeah. And be honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, closing four questions oh, then, that I ask everybody. <laughs> right. Um, so, if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem? Funding. End of the day, funding. Um, you know, that would be the... At the minute, that is the answer to most things. Funding and then making... The rule is, you bring in something new, you've got to get rid of something. Yes, and I love that. When you mentioned that one before, thing in, one I thing forgot out. to mention Think that. Think about what, what are we doing, why are we doing it, who is it for, and is it benefiting ourselves and the children? Yeah, absolutely. What's the benefit? I think you need that rule. Cost benefit analysis. When I was um, teaching year four, my first year in primary, I went to the staff meetings every other week. It was a new initiative and we never took anything away and you just could not do it. So that that's one of the best things. And what is the idea of, well, let's do one thing well rather than 20 things badly. Yeah, I couldn't agree. But that takes that. courage. And the Ofsted framework, it takes away our courage. Yeah. And I get that. And it, it takes a lot of courage from SLT, doesn't it? Yes, it's very much so. Okay. Where do you think education is going in the next 10 years? Um, I'm hoping to better times. 
in many respects. And I, I think you have to be an optimist when you work with children. Yeah. You know, and yet there's a lot of challenges. And I think we are looking at children and families and life that's changing. Mm-hmm. And I think technology is changing. I'm not I'm not one of these people that says, oh, we'll all be working on iPads. And, you know, I yeah. watched Back to the Future when I was a teenager and thought we'd all be on hoverboards by now. <laughs> that's not going <laughs> to yeah. happen. We will still need to write. Children will still need to learn how to handwrite. Mm. Um, but I think the focus on a broader curriculum is really good yeah. i think things like the early career framework is good i think greater the new ofsted framework in itself eventually when it beds in when, when schools have got their own curriculum and are brave enough to do that is good and i think the flexibility of schools to transform themselves is strong um i do think the funding is a massive issue and will come to a head at some point yeah because schools cannot keep you know, we've, we've, it's not a case of stripping the fat away now. We're now stripping the flesh and we're getting down to the bones. Yeah. And I think that will, you know, something will happen in a school somewhere that shouldn't happen. It might be a safeguarding issue type thing and it'll be directly due to a just lack of funding. Yeah. You know, and that, that will be awful. That will be awful. Um, but otherwise, I'm optimistic, but I think we need to look at the children that we're getting. And I love... One of the things I love at the moment is this focus on books and reading and the fact that, you know, five years ago, if I went into a classroom in year six, teachers would say to me, oh, no, we don't read to them because that's a waste of time. And yeah. that would break my heart because yeah. for me, the best part of the job was doing the voices and doing George yeah. and George's Marvellous Medicine and all of that. Yeah. And having that that special time when I did things like I used to do um, Good Night, Mr. Tom yeah. with year five and six. And having those kids in the palm of your hand waiting on your every word yeah. there is nothing like that feeling it's the best feeling in the world and I think getting back to reading is brilliant yeah. but it's having the space and I think we've just got to be braver to kick some stuff into yeah. touch and say do you know what that isn't as important as this I also, that takes courage I also feel like you know that's important for broadening the curriculum because that's where you learn the extra stuff that is yeah by and, reading and, different stories and, and we know that you know all the evidence points to strong readers make strong learners yeah. and if we don't do the dt as much because we're doing more reading does that really matter read a book about and i'm not DT. just picking on dt by the way don't don't ring in and say i'm not yeah. but, you know <laughs> yeah. it could be any curriculum area. yes the next but, one know. is um, a deep dive on dt <laughs> it's know. not no, really it's good <laughs> I haven't found anyone willing to do that yet. So no. if you're listening and you teach DT okay. and you want to do a deep dive, then let me know. Um, um, okay, so who was your favourite teacher at school and why? My favourite teacher was my year, well, I think it was year four, five and six. I was in a small Lincolnshire primary, Mr Downing, Pete. And he was brilliant because he really did epitomise book and book learning. We read Narnia and it was the first time I encountered death, you know, Aslan's wow. death. Yeah. was amazingly powerful but we also read things like and the eagle of the ninth by rosemary Sutcliffe, and he really empowered me to be a reader mm. and i was a big reading child um i'm less so now sadly as an adult just because of time yeah. but i think that you know for me the the, the resurgence of books and that you know the type of books you're getting with like nevermore cogheart there's so many great authors out there who let the gods out all of that yeah. is fantastic yeah. and turning kids back into readers i think is a really strong thing and pete did that with me mm. you know i had a creative you know it wasn't great i look back now and things like punctuation was very dodgy because this was the 70s and 80s and it wasn't yeah. you know and i think having a structure times tables wasn't really embedded yeah and looking at things like fluency and automaticity now and the importance of having those skills embedded so you don't have to draw on them at secondary school you've just got them <coughs> at your fingertips is essential yeah. um but that love of learning mm. and what he gave to us was invaluable and it switched me on forever hopefully he's listening 
Okay. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, before I wanted to become a teacher, I wanted to become an archaeologist. History has always been my... I love history. I'm fascinated by what made people do what they do, where we come from. And particularly these days, I'm very much fascinated with kind of archaeology. And I spend a lot of my time up in Scotland, Mm -hmm. Orkney, going to places like Scarabrain, Maze Howe. When you stood in places that people form, you know, and they're as old as the pyramids. And you're thinking, what, you know... And I mean, we we went through... um, Went to a place in Orkney called the Tomb of the Eagles. And they've got schools of the families that lived there thousands and thousands of years ago, proper Stone Age. And they know there was a disability with these these families because there's something to do with the way the, the, the right. schools don't knit properly. So it would have yeah. given them bulgy eyes and it made them wouldn't be able to, they'd been quite disabled. Yeah. And the nice thing was they've got evidence that these people, these disabled people lived into adulthood. So you knew that even in the Stone Age, they could care for and were caring for their disabled members of their community. When you get the idea of Stone Age, it's all people with, you know, survival and hitting things over the head with hammers and being very base as human beings. And then you see at Scarabray their jewellery and the fact they had these um, dresses made out of stone and they would put all their prized possessions on to show off to their neighbours. And again, it's that... Wow, they were like us. Yeah. They weren't that dissimilar, even yeah. though we have this idea of them as being, you know, survivalists. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not being very communicative. They had the same instincts for pretty things and yeah, things like yeah. us, which I find absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it also t- begs the question of, um, you know, have we got it right as well, you know? What's important? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Were they... Um, could they communicate a lot more than we think? And exactly. It's difficult. To and I mean, when really. you go to Scarabray, you realise that even though they're all interlinked, the houses, every house would have had its own little wooden door. So if you wanted privacy from your neighbours, you put your little wooden door in, you plugged it in, which oh, I right, thought was yeah. really interesting yeah. that they did, you know, and they weren't, like I say, that they, they were more like us than we give them credit for, really. Yeah. It's a shame, really, that it's so far away for most children because yeah. it would be a great trip. Yeah. And um, that's where things like technology come in. You know, a virtual yeah. reality tour of Scarabray with a headset yeah. where you can touch things and feel things. I'm married to a professor of computer science, I should say. So, yeah. so the virtual reality is kind of one of <laughs> so my it's interests. Coming in. And I think that sort of thing is great because it would enable access to all kids. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. That's it's been right. such such Thank a you. great conversation. Thank lovely. you for joining me. No problem. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. What an in-depth interview. One of the things I love most about interviewing people for the podcast is hearing their different perspectives based on the role they are doing and where they are coming from. Although Kate is focused on teachers entering the profession, she has an interesting insight on the overall picture of education in the fairly unique role that she has. You'll find everything that Kate talked about in the show notes. If this is the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, check out our other episodes for some more great listens. We've been securing some more fantastic guests for you and if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, you can let us know in our Facebook group called The Teachers Podcast Community. This episode is now live on YouTube so don't forget to subscribe to the channel and if you love this episode then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with all your teacher friends. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.